Thank you so much for leading us. It's, it's so good to be with you together um, this morning. Um, we believe that God is here. When we sing those words, we don't, we don't just sing them because we, we hope that they're true. We, we sing them with a sense of declaration that they are true, that, that the Holy Spirit is here and that he's working. Um, and one of the wonderful things about that is that um, we, uh, we're here and we're hopefully, we desire to be available that God would meet us and and change us. And for some of us, that means uh, healing. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, that can be uncomfortable. It can be scary. Um, but it's needed and it's desired and it's wonderful. For, for some of us, it can mean um, conviction. It can mean challenge. It can mean um, comfort. It can mean a whole lot of different things. But we believe the Holy Spirit's here and working. Um, and as we sing those words, as we pray those words, we, we declare that the God is here and, and at work. And um, Kim, uh, thank you for for putting words not just to your own experience, but for what is the experience of too many of us, and um, and just being willing to share that and and say that that's who we believe that God's called us to be as a as a people, a church, and a, a family that um, is willing to deal with with difficult things, and more importantly, willing to, um, to 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 stand in a place of strength with with the weak and and the hurting, and um, and again, that's. That's really messy and potentially very uncomfortable. And it's exactly where God's called us to be and who he's called us to be. And so thank you, Kim and, and, and Adam, for, for leading us this morning in that. And, um, uh, my name's Tim. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if, if you've... We're a little off script, so we're kind of writing this as we go right now. So there's that too. So um, what we're going to do right now is take an offering. And that, oh, thank you. Thanks for reminding me. I forgot that part. We do this weird thing where we clap because we, not, it's, it's, it's weird because it's different. It's also wonderful because we believe that, that God's given for many of us far more than we need. Uh, and we, we want to celebrate and be ch- cheerful givers and giving back. And so um, we're going to do that right now. So we're going to pass these baskets in a way for us to, to worship God and honor God with all of who we are and what we have. Um, if you're a guest, uh, we're not asking for your money. We're, we're genuinely just glad that, that you would spend some time with us and that you're here here right now with us. So just keep the baskets moving. You don't have to put money in there. Um, we, uh, we've we been in a, a series. We, let me back up. We, uh, I'm making up a script. If, you didn't, if I didn't say that already, I'm making, I'm making this up as, as we go. And... Um, and it's going really, really well, and um, and that's that's okay. Uh, we just sang the words to uh, the sound of heaven touching earth, and um, I'm not sure exactly what sound that makes, but um, when heaven touches earth, something happens. Um, and the reason that that we would even sing those songs, and the reason that it's even in scripture, um, and that we 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 dream about it and we pray for it, is that w- when God decides to to have heaven touch earth, when that happens and where that happens. Uh, something transformative takes place and there's, there's healing and restoration. Uh, and what we desire to be and what so many of us have experienced is that has God's entered our lives through the person and work of Jesus. As we've trusted in Jesus, we get changed, we get healed, we get restored. And then as we come together as a, as a community, as a people, as a family, as a church... We get to demonstrate that in some way to the world. And so we, we deeply desire to be that kind of a people uh, and that kind of a church where we, we're displaying just these little glimpses of, of heaven to the, to the world around us. And um, as, 
as we've talked already this morning, is this is this is one of the areas when it comes to the area of of, of sexual assault, of sexual abuse, of sexual brokenness, of sexual just everything messed up in our world that has just done such a phenomenally overachieving job of messing up sexuality. Um, we want to stand as something that's distinct and different in that, um, in all of the ways of undoing it and modeling it in the best ways. And that's a high calling, and it's really challenging. Um, and on the surface, nothing about what our scripture today will be about. Um, we've been in a series on it through the book of Hebrews, which is later on in the New Testament. And, um, and one of the reasons that we take um, this this book, the Bible, and um, we we let God set our agenda for us is is that he decides what we're going to talk about sometimes. And um, at, on face value, I'm going to read, read the, the text that was set out for today, and it's going to say, how does that possibly connect with, with what we've experienced in our world this week? And um, middle of the week, I wasn't convinced it does at all, and, and now um, I, I believe that it does in a, in a very deep and, and significant way. And so um, we're going to step into that. The, the series is, that we've been in through the book of Hebrews is called the book of better things. And the reason that it's called that is because in a cyclical, repeated way, throughout the 13 chapters of Hebrews, I think it's 13. Is it 13? Aha. You're not showing off. Yep, 13. Um, throughout all 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews, it just repeated, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. What? Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the promised land. Jesus is better than anything that you can come up with in your life today. And this is how Jesus is better. And so um, it's the book of, of better things, all the ways that Jesus is better. So I'm going to pray, invite you to pray with me, and, and then we'll dive in together. God, when you choose to, to break into our world, we, we say that it's, it's like heaven touching earth, that you, you enter into our our moments and our time and our space and our life and and you show up and and we ask for that right now that this would be one of those moments that as we're gathered here in this room on a Sunday morning that you would that you would show up and make yourself known and that we experience you and know you as this God that you truly are that you're present that you're all knowing that you see into to all of our lives you see into the the good and the bad, the, the things that we want to remember and the things that we wish we could forget that never happened. And, and you're a God who knows and you want to bring healing and hope and, and health into that, into our lives because you're good and you're loving and you created us and you designed us and you intended us for relationship with you. And so Holy Spirit, again, we call on you today and declare that you're here and that you're working and that we want to be we want to be ready for you to, to change us today and to heal us, to help us. And so would you continue to work in this moment? And Jesus, we're here because of you, and we need you, uh, and we need you to, to speak to us through your word this morning and to guide us and to lead us and to declare yourself yet again in our lives as King and as Savior and as Redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, I had... 
I, th- I think it was probably, I think it, this memory I have is about from third grade. It, it might have been second, third, fourth grade, somewhere in there. But there were several years in a row um, that uh, my dad would get me up early on a Saturday morning and pack up the car and he and I would would drive. And it would be a winter morning and it was it was winter, which means something slightly different in, in Southern California than it, than it does in other parts of the globe. But um, winter in, sun, in Southern California, uh, early morning, we'd have to drive several hours to get to snow, but we would make that drive to, to get to the mountains. And when we would meet a bunch of my other friends and their dads as well and and we would we would go uh inner tubing and we had a, a friend who who had a bunch of these giant inner tubes or at least they felt giant to me when i was in fourth grade um and i can remember carrying it up the the little slope the little hill that we would go down and felt like i had to kind of lift it and lean it like this just to get it off of the snow to, to carry up and man it was a blast it was so fun we went down this little hill just over and over and over again and i can remember the first year that we were there doing this and having so much fun and and then looked over and to the right of our little hill that we were going all of a sudden my dad had been gone for for several minutes i just kind of lost track of him and all of a sudden he comes down just flying down faster than i'd seen anybody else and i looked up and another started coming down and then when i when he got back up to where i was on this little hill i said where did you come from where did you where, where did you go what happened and he's like oh there's a there's a higher hill up here that some other guys found and hey come climb up here with me it's it's so much fun. I said, well, this thing's so big. I don't know if I can carry it up there. Um, and he's like, well, I've got one to carry, so you carry yours. So he said, I'm going to go up here and, and come on with me. And he helped me carry it a little bit. But at first I didn't want to go. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go and we get up there. And it was so much further and, and steeper. And when, just, this is, this is science, but on snow, when, when it's steeper, you get to go faster. And faster is better so we were up there and we started going down and i came down and it was just so much faster than the little kitty hill that we were on before and so that was the rest of my day i was going all the way back up there and then i saw other friends that were still on the kitty hill and i said hey you got to come up you don't want to miss out on this you you got to come up here this this higher hill it's so much fun and then i said and explained to them how over we went down a few runs and then we started locking legs in do you know how you do that and you, you, you make like, you know, like, I don't know how many we had together, but the first time it was just my dad and I, and then we kind of, several other guys, next thing you know, it's like 16 guys like going down at once, and it's just, it, just a blast, and my other friends that were still on the kitty hill were like, man, that's so far up there, I don't know if I want to go, and, no, oh, dude, you got to come, you got to check this out, don't miss out on this, don't miss out, and eventually they came and, and got a little taste of it, and it was a blast for them, too, then they started recruiting other people and said, oh, this is so much fun. You don't, you don't want to miss out on that. Well, once you've experienced something that's really, really good like that, and you want your friends to come and experience it as well, there's this sense of, if you knew what I knew, if you experienced what I experienced, you would not want to stay on this hill. You would want to come where we're going. My, my dad showed me the way, and I went up with him, and then I went down with all of his buddies and friends, and, oh, it's so great. Don't want to miss out on that. That's where our, our text starts today is, is the author of Hebrews saying to some other people, there's something that you don't want to miss out on. There's something that you're at risk. There's a danger. There's a, there's a threat to you that you might miss out on this thing that is so good. And what he's saying is so good is something called the rest. The rest that God promises you and I. And, and the way that you'll see it, it happen in these verses is saying, when we understand the good news of, of Jesus, when we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, when he's offered us this this relationship with him through the forgiveness of sins, when he's, when this, this thing that we've so easily and simply and accurately referred to as the good news. When we trust Jesus for that, we experience something of the life of God known as God's rest. And we're at danger of missing out on that if we do several things. Listen to how it starts in, in Hebrews chapter 4. If you haven't found your way to, to chapter 4, it's... Um, 
get there, it's going to be up on the screen as well. But listen to these first two verses. It says this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, it's still available. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. To have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. They did not share the faith of those who obeyed. They, they said, you're, you're kind of dancing in the realm of it. You're close. You're like on the kitty hill, but the, the, real, the real deal is over here, and you're just settling for this. And, um, and he says, you're, you've, you're at risk of falling short. Some have already fallen short, and we don't want you to fall short as well. Falling short is this idea of... Um, uh, there's this, there's this dad named, named Reese, and uh, Reese um, is not a good dad. He's, he's really not a good dad. But he gave his son some advice um, when his son was really young, and his son ended up shaping his entire life after this advice because it was, it was so compelling and, and resonated with him so deeply when he was a young kid. And, and, and again, the, Reese was not a good dad, and his, his son, whose name was uh, Ricky, um, Reese said to Ricky when he was really young, um, if you ain't first, you're last. And, um, and, and Ricky heard that and he shaped his life around it. And the story of, of what that looks like is told in the cinematic achievement of 2006 known as Talladega Nights. And um, Ricky Bobby became a NASCAR racer and the fastest ever uh, and because he was so fearful of being second on down, of not finishing first. If, if you're not first, you're last is, is actually... Horrible advice for a father to give his son. So, so don't do that. Don't say that. It's not helpful. It's not encouraging. But there's, a, there's this shred of truth in it. That, that first place is better than all the rest. And it's not good advice. It's not encouraging. It's not, it's not particularly helpful. But there is a sense that everything after first is, is not first. So whether you're second or third, or if you are the very last, you're, you're not first. That first is distinct and different and unique and and that's what this is saying. I mean, it's not, the words actually paint a picture of, of Greek athletics early on that became the Olympics. But when, when, when runners would, would run that having fall, fallen short is not finishing first and not getting the crown and not being awarded and celebrated. That falling short is second on, on down the line to last. To, to fall short of something is not to experience the crown because first is something different than everything else. And so there's this fear, there's this concern, there's this, this deep desire that, that friends hear the message of not missing out on getting all the way to the top and experience what is available. That that's the concern here. And it's that they would miss out on, on the rest of God. Now, what we're going to do right now, and, and this is, God speaks through scripture. And again, we've, we've decided to take a book and just to work through it. And what that means is that we come along texts like this next section of eight verses that I'm going to read out loud for us. And, and some of us might be familiar with this and might, might understand it. When I read this for the first time through, it was like, wait, what's going on here? So I want to read this, but then I want to take a moment and go kind of go, why is this here? What is, what is so important that is in, in this section that, that is, is you're going to hear names and you're going to hear Old Testament verses quoted and you're going to hear a little bit of history. But listen to it carefully and then we're going to take just a few moments and back up and, and understand what is it that God wants us to hear through these. Listen to this in verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest. That this is what God is offering. Just as God has said, and here's an Old Testament, uh, this is from Psalm 95. So I declared on oath in my anger... They shall never enter my rest. 
These are words from God that are recorded in Psalm 95. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken, and we know where this somewhere is, it's Genesis 2, verse 2. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they never, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, there's something in the future, there's something that, that could happen. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go into, did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted again in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. A lot in there. Um, there's, there's something uncomfortable that we all have experienced about looking in a mirror. When we look in a mirror, there's, there's no hiding. I mean, unless, like, unless you turn the lights off and look in a mirror, and then what, what good is that? But when we look in a mirror, we're, we're, we're all prepared, we're all aware that we're getting, we're getting the real story. We turn the lights on, the lights are in, we're lit, we look in a room and we go, okay, this, th- that's who I am. I see an accurate representation of me. It, and we need it and it's necessary, but it's a little uncomfortable and there's, there's certainly times when we don't want to look in a mirror. It, we understand this tension when we, when we take a selfie, right? Like there's, I'm told, there's full-on tutorials on how to take a selfie. Awesome. Like, there's an angle you're supposed to hold the phone at, right? There's a way to pucker your lips. There's a way that you're supposed to, to look away and then look in and then open your eyes. And, and then even if you didn't get all of that right, then you can put a filter on it and you can look perfectly beautiful, right? I mean, or, or horrendous. Whatever you want, you can create, right? You, I mean, we know we want to position ourselves and appear and look in a certain way. That's because looking in a mirror reveals something to us. It reveals what is true and what's real. So... Before we look in a mirror, th- this text is, is taking us to a place where we need to look in a mirror. But before we look in a mirror, one step between there and now is looking at history. And when we look at history, we get somebody else's story. And we can look at their life first, and it, and it helps us hear a little bit more about our life when we look and go, okay, I, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. It helps us a little bit, and that's what's happening in this passage is it saying, let's take a look at history first, and then we're going to look at you. You're going to, we're going to look at the mirror, but let's first look at history. It, 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 these verses we read talk about the rest of God in a historical perspective. And it talks about, in, in, in Psalm 95, it's most likely that David wrote this psalm. He wrote many of the psalms. He wrote Psalm 95, most likely, and, and talks about God in his angers taking an oath and saying, they will never enter his rest. What that's referring to is the Israelites who have been freed from slavery in Egypt, that God has carried them on dry land across the Red Sea, then bringing the waters back together 
and wiping out Pharaoh's army to protect his people, the Israelites. Crossing through the desert rather quickly, but providing them food and water in the desert, bringing them up to the very edge of the promised land and saying, I've promised you this land. Now enter into it. And in that way, it's saying, enter into this rest of this promise. How is the promised land rest? The promised land is rest is that when you cross from the desert into the promised land and God has given you this land, they now have a, a mailing address. They now have an address where people can send them mail. They have a place. They're no longer nomads. They're no longer slaves. They no longer not matter. They have land and they can set down roots and they say, we are going to be the people of this land. We're going to be here. And when that happens, all of a sudden what they know is that their children will have children in this land and they'll continue on living and they'll make, they'll make crops and have farms and have a society and have a culture and be a people and they'll be known. This is who they'll be when they have a land. Without a land, they just are wandering in the desert. God is saying, I want to give you rest because you have an address. You belong here. And what they did is they sent in 12 spies. And if you were here, Adam covered, I think, 500 years of history in about three minutes, which was just masterful last week. But 12 spies went in and they came back and reported what they saw on the promised land. And they said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, which means it's the best kind of land. God, God did right by you. He gave you the best. Now, come in and take it. Oh, but 10 of the spies said, yeah, there's some really big, strong dudes in there. They're kind of like giants. So we're going to have to deal with them. And oh, they're kind of scary. And so the, that generation, that people didn't obey God and by faith take the land. And so God says, you don't get to experience the rest because you're not faithful. You're not obedient. I'm giving this to you. I'm promising you. I'm telling you, trust me, take my word. I'm going to give this land to you. And they said, no, we're going to go our own way. And so he said, okay, here's your, here's where you're going to go. You're going to go into the desert and you're going to turn left for 40 years. You're going to die out and your children, the next generation are going to have another opportunity. He's referring to the promised land as rest. When the next generation went in, they experienced a taste of that rest. And the rest there is compared to, and this is why it talks about Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, is it's the same word for rest there is used for the rest that God took at the seventh day on the week of creation. That six days he created and the seventh day he rested, we're told in Genesis. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says that God rested. And that kind of rest is compared to the kind of rest that they experienced in the land. Here's a real squirrely part of all of this kind of crazy hang on david writes this psalm and he's talking about this as not just the rest that the people could go into but he's talking about something way in the future and the reason we know that is because david is writing after the generation already has been in the land they've already experienced the rest that's actually in the past and david is saying there's a rest in the future. And so what that means for us is that the rest that they experienced when they were in the land is just a taste. It's just a foretaste. It's not the full picture that he's talking about. Something. There's three kinds of rest, the kind of rest that God had at the end of creation. There's the kind of rest that the people experienced in the land. And then there's another future kind of rest. What is it that, that we mean by rest? What, what, what is, I mean, we all maybe have a different understanding of that. What is it that's so good about it that we don't want to miss out um, we've gotten to become friends with the neighbors who live behind us, the, the house behind us. And we talk over the fence and, um, and share tools and, and we've had each other over to each other's homes and got to know each other. And one day I was talking to my neighbor uh, uh, over the fence and, and, and Don says to me, he goes, Hey, 184. 
184. I'm like, oh, great. Are you, are you down to 184? And he goes, ha, ha, not even close. Jerk. Um, I go, what is it? He just kept saying, 184. I was like, I, I, I don't, help me out. What, okay, I'll buy it. What is that? Tell me. I need to know. I've made 184 pizza dough crusts this year. He was like, just counted it up. And so I said to him, I can't wait till your unemployment ends. No, I didn't say it. But part of that, he was unemployed, and then he got a job. But um, he, 184, I'm like, how do you do that? I've made exactly zero in my life. I can't imagine making, and this is all from scratch, too. 184 pizza doughs in a year. He says, I just added it up. I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's how, what? I have three boys. It's you and your wife, nobody else. Why aren't you making me pizza? You're making it for yourself. How could you possibly eat that many? He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm getting to the perfect pizza dough. I'm obsessed with this. I have to be able to make the perfect pizza dough. And now I've got it. It took me 184, but I've got it. I've got the perfect pizza dough. When Don finished his year of 184 pizza doughs, what do you think rest looked like for him? When he got it, when he got there and he said, I just made the perfect pizza dough. Do you think he's like, shut it down, shut down the kitchen. I'm going up to my bed. I'm just going to sleep for a month and recover from making a hundred. No. What would rest look like for him? When he finishes and he arrives and he takes it out of the oven and he takes a bite of it and he's like, I, I did it. This is it. It's, it's thin. It's crispy. It's perfect. I finally got there. Hopefully what he would do is invite his neighbors over. Come over the fence. <laughs> Sit at my table. Sit, let's sit down together. He's going to sit at the head of the table and he's going to pull his chair up and the per- table's going to be set perfectly. He's going to pull his placemat just a little bit closer and put his plate right in the middle. And he's going to reach across and get the biggest piece and he's going to put it on his plate. And then he's going to lift it up and he's going to take a bite of it. And he's going to look around the table and say, hey, neighbors, enjoy. And we're all going to eat it together and it's going to be fantastic. That's what rest looks like. When you're busy making something, creating something, building something, when you rest, you enjoy it. You step into it, enjoy it. God didn't go up to his loft and take a nap on the seventh day of creation. He walked in the garden with his new friends, Adam and Eve. He took a look at the animals that he made and he went, my gosh, how did I come up with a giraffe? I'm amazing. And look at these beautiful flowers and these amazing trees. And oh my gosh, I'm remembering now on day three or four, I don't know what day it was, I, that I made how water works and, it, you know, water's everything and dirt and that's great. You know, how all the, you know, on a cellular level, how everything works. I mean, he's just sitting and enjoying what he made. That's what he's doing on, on the seventh day. He's enjoying it. He gives the people of Israel a little bit of taste of enjoying life in the land and not being a nomad. And when he talks about the future, he's saying to me and to you, There's a kind of life that I want you to enjoy. But the only way, the only way that you experience that kind of life is with me. It's my life, he says. Come and be with me. Come and rest with me. Come and enjoy me. Walk walk up the hill with me and let me show you what I've got for you. Come ride with me. Come be with me. Every other option is less than the rest of God than what God has to offer each and every one of us. He wants to invite us into that. And he's given us glimpses throughout history of just tastes of it. But within that history, what we have is people who have been unfaithful and disobedient. And if that's history, and if that's what God's calling us to, verse 11 says this, let us, 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We've got this weird mix of making an effort to experience rest. And the reason that it takes effort is because we live in a sinful, broken world where there's unending pressures and opportunities and temptations and proddings to have us go on our own way back into the desert and not cross over into the promised land where God wants to be with us. And so we make every effort. There's a verse a couple earlier that we read from Psalm 95, and it says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's more than a few of us, and perhaps many of us, who battle on a regular basis a hard heart. And we've got them for all different reasons, don't we? Our hearts get hard when we, when we in, in whatever way we choose to go, God, I, I just need, I need my space. I need to push you off here. I, I, I've got I've to get you away from me a little bit. That our heart becomes hard when we say, I'm going to go my own way. I, I can't step over into the promised land. I can't trust you, God. I've got to go my own way. That's, that's the sign of a, of a hard of a hard heart. Some of us, our hearts have become hard for the very thing that we talked about earlier today. That if, if one of us, if it was only one of us, it would be far too many. But the reality is, is that it's many of us have experienced sexual abuse, assault, pain, and that experience is, is so devastating and shapes us so significantly in a way that God doesn't want us to be shaped that it can easily and understandably callous our heart against a loving God who wants to be known as Father. And so some of us have a hard heart. And it's difficult and painful to look into a mirror and go, that's, that's me. That's my story. That's who I am. And so it takes, it takes effort to look into that mirror and to say, God, help. Help me. Meet me here. And some of us have actually said that and then have felt like we haven't been helped. Or we've reached out and the very person we've reached out to has further hurt us. And this whole section is God saying, that's, that's not my plan for you. That's not my desire for you. That's not me. I want to call you out of that. I want to invite you out of that. I want to rescue you out of that. I want to pull you out of that. Will you step across the Jordan River into the promised land with me? Will you, will you have faith? Will you allow your heart to be softened a little bit so that I can heal it further? Those are the words of God. Those are the words of God. Some of us have been, some of us have hardened our heart because we've been let down by somebody in power or authority or leadership over us. They've let us down, they've disappointed us, they've misled us, they've, any number, there's far too many stories. And God says, that's not who I am. That's not the kind of leader and father that I am. 
I create safe spaces and breathe life into you and bring bones that have been in the grave rattling out and reconnect them with ligaments and tendons and put flesh on them and then breathe life back into them. That's who I am. Some of us have hard hearts because we've asked questions and pondered and wondered and gotten to intellectual limits where we just can't understand why things are the way they are and searched for answers and we haven't found them. And we've believed the the lie that, that faith doesn't require any leaps and that we can find all the answers. And once we do, because that's got to be possible, right? Once we do, then belief will be easy and comfortable and, and safe. And God says, no, you got to, I want to, I want you to take the effort of stepping into the promised land with me and to consider all those giants that are still in there and trust me that I'll be faithful in the same way that I was to part the river and to provide food and water in the desert that I'm going to take care of the giants. Let's walk in there together and deal with them. I can overcome those. Don't harden your heart. And some of us, if we're to actually do the work of lifting up the mirror and looking at it, and we're to be honest with ourselves and tell us what we see, we see somebody who's just simply lazy and half asleep. That we've been going our own way for far too long and think that we can both be asleep to what God wants to say to us and that he'll show up and regularly meet us in our lives and that everything will be wonderful and perfect. But we've just been lazy, asleep, ignoring his voice, his word, the spirit's prompting, the call of a friend, the conviction of a sister or a brother, that we've just been lazy. We can all have hard hearts for different reasons and multiple reasons. But the invitation of a loving God is, is don't have a hard heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But be willing to take the effort and to go where he wants to call us. We live in a world that is tremendously and increasingly chaotic in so many ways as we consider virtually any area of life. Look at our personal lives and what we experience, even down to the, so many of us struggle with anxiety in some way that affects our emotions and our minds, our ability to think and our very bodies and what it feels like, that we feel chaotic within, that we look outside and we feel chaotic in our families and the lack of stability and consistency and health, that we look into our workplaces and see something that doesn't seem like it's going to last or be fulfilling or maybe even be possible, that we look into the world of our our social surroundings and our politics and our economics and global everything and just go, this world is chaotic. And how is it that we find the rest that God wants to offer us in the midst of that? And if we don't harden our hearts and we can hear his voice, we'll hear him say, trust me, step into it. I want to reach down and, and touch heaven to your earth right where you are and to bring a, a little more hope and a little more light, a little more clarity and a little more healing so that you experience, so that we experience God present here. Another way that we can understand this is what this means for us holistically as a church, together as a family, what this means of God's inviting us into rest. And it's interesting not knowing, I mean, backing up a month or so and the decisions that we've made uh, over the last, say, month or two as a church and then coming to this text today and going, what does rest look like? And we made a decision a month ago to, to, to push pause on our, our gathering that happens on Sundays in North, e- in, in North Portland and to pull back here into Northeast at 9 and, and 11 and to, to push pause on our 10 a.m. gathering. And, and that's brought us a level of rest. 
And if I were to be honest with you, one of the things I was hoping for is like, okay, we'll be able to re-strengthen. We'll take a, we'll take a quick breather, like a, little, like a little stop station on a, on a, on a marathon, a cup of water, and then, and then like we'll, we'll keep going. Like get re-strengthened, like what, in like 15, 20 seconds maybe, 25. And, and then that's kind of, and, and then come to this and go, no, I wonder, wonder what, what this means to actually really rest. And then this just simple simple reality that if we're going to be re-strengthened, we have to experience rest first in order for that to happen. And what our prayers change and begin to be, God, give us rest right now. We, uh, uh, a number of months ago, we, we started uh, inviting ourselves to, to pray as a church on the first Tuesday of, of the month, and we've got one coming up. And so this Tuesday um, is, is October 2nd, and that we would, that we would pray, and, then, and also to, to fast. It came out of a a teaching on fasting that we did, that we would fast and pray um, for one meal on Tuesday. And so I want to invite you to do that again this Tuesday. It's two days away. Um, you can eat a whole bunch today, and maybe you'll last through Tuesday. I don't know. But um, to, take, to take a meal off, it's a big deal, but to take a meal off and not eat and to, to pray and to fast. It could be breakfast. We're going to do it as a staff team as lunch. Um, but, but to take a meal on Tuesday and, and to pray for our church and to, to pray this, this prayer that God would further soften our hearts, that we would be a people of healing and hope and safety, that we would declare to our world something that our world doesn't hear from any, any place else, that we would become more like this. That as we do this, we're, we're midway through it. What we're doing is a, 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 a health assessment as a church. We just turned 15 this month, and we want to learn about, about where we're at. And what a great gift to us right now that, that we've chosen to do this before even reading all this, that God, that's, a, that's a gift of rest to us. How can we learn from that and be further strengthened and, and healed for the future that, that we can rest in that and hear and learn? It's a looking in the mirror. This is who we are. God, teach us who we are so that we can be your kind of people in a very chaotic, broken world for the future. None of this happens without us being connected to Jesus. And one of the reasons that we gather like this is because we need to stop and rest weekly and go, Jesus, speak to me. Soften my heart. Meet me through song. Meet me through communion. Meet me through words. Meet me through your word, through laughter, through the hug of a friend, through a moment of silence, through a prayer prayed, through a declaration made. Speak to me. I want to invite you to close your eyes with me. We're going to continue to sing for a few moments and, and I want to invite you to these tables that are around the room there's two in the balcony and two up front here and then one in the middle on the floor um, to come to communion and today saying Jesus Jesus you are the future you are the the one that is better than the promised land you are the way to, to rest and to enjoy the life that God desires for each and every one of us And so, Jesus, we declare you in this place. We declare you as better than all else, as you alone as King and as Savior, and that you would help us to not have hard hearts, but to to be faithful and obedient to the things that you call us to, to take that step across the Jordan River into the promised land and to experience you showing up and being faithful and taking care of giants and giving us the life that you did promised and desired for us, that we would enjoy life with you in the here and now, which we ultimately know is just a foretaste of all of eternity.